Hey, y'all. You're listening to How I Got Here with Drina Whitfield, the podcast that dives deep into the unique journeys of some of the dopest entrepreneurs, business leaders, and personalities I know. I'm your host, Drina Whitfield. I created this podcast to have real, honest conversations about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Grab your notebook, sit back, relax, and catch these gems. Her work has graced the red carpets of the Emmys, Grammys, American Music Awards, the Video Music Awards, SNL, and more. Her clients include Leslie Jones, Ari Lennox, Angela Rye, Bozema St. John, Tina Knowles, Yvonne Orji, Kelly Price, Ruth Carter, Gabrielle Union, and more. Welcome, my girl, my favorite makeup artist and eyebrow master, my girl Lola. Hey, Lola. Hey, Darina. Thank you so much for joining me on my new venture. Oh, How you cool. doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. You know, you are one of my faves, so I'm happy <laughs> to support. Uh, thank you for joining me. You know, me and Lola met, I want to say like three years ago. I don't remember exactly. I may have emailed you blindly trying to enlist your services for a client. Was that, is that right? Is that the correct story uh, I mean, of how we met? It was, I feel like it was longer than three years ago. It might have been. I feel like it's been a lot, a little bit longer, maybe like four or five years ago. I think that that's what happened, but I had already been seeing your work and I just didn't know that it was your brand behind it. Aww. Like I didn't know that you were the person associated with the brand. So I've, I've heard about the business for a long time, but I finally put the face to the name, you know, like you said, relatively about four years ago. Well, I was following you for a minute. Uh, You know how to be the face, honey. You know it. You know how to be a face. And I'm always obsessed with your eyebrows. And for years, I've been trying to get Lola to teach me her tricks. She showed me numerous times. I don't, I still don't know how to do them. But I wanted to interview you for how I got here with Drina Whitfield because I just love your journey. You know, you're a highly sought after makeup artist, a brown makeup artist at that who is out here killing it. I mean, we read through your client roster. We, I've seen your work. Tons of people have seen your work. And I'm just so grateful that you decided to do this with me. So, but I want to start really like at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. If you could go back to your high school yearbook right now, what did you write when you were asked the question, Lola, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Ironically, I was the class president in high school and I was nominated as most likely to succeed, (laughs) (laughs) which is quite interesting. It's funny you say that because when people see me from high school, they're surprised at the career path that I ultimately, you know, decided to go in because early on I had aspirations of being an attorney. So, you know, I was that girl that, like I said, I was the class president. I was you know, all the administrators and adults were very fond of me in school. I was a, you know, a leader. So people aren't surprised that I'm successful, but they are surprised that I am a makeup artist as opposed to an attorney. So that's probably the most interesting kind of nugget in this whole, in like my whole evolution. Come on, overachiever. I mean, class <laughs> president. I, I don't even think I was thinking about that when I was in, a, in high school. <sighs> Did you go to college for law? So again, another thing that a lot of people don't know, I, um, I played sports. I was an avid 
basketball player. I played up until college. Um, so I wanted to kind of mix or infuse my love of sports um, with law. So I actually went to college and I started off my undergraduate degree as a sports management major. Wow. Um, because I wanted to be a sports agent and I knew that there weren't many, you know, black women sports agents. My brother played in the NFL um, at the time. So I was kind of enamored by just the sports world. And so I got in. So I had a mix of poli sign because there wasn't an official sports management major. My advisor allowed me to curate my degree. So I went to a liberal arts degree, St. Mary's College, which is the predominantly white honors college. But I felt like the school was best suited for me because, you know, I didn't, I didn't trust myself at HBCU. (laughs) um, I knew I needed to be focused. So I thought that, you know, being at a school that was still in state, but was a little far away from my parents would would best suit me. So I ended up starting the sports management program at my college because um, my school never had sports managers. So those are like the statisticians. Those are the people that, you know, do the Mm -hmm. stats, um, the people who pretty much like help with the athletes, with the jerseys, with just like the overall day-to-day. So our school never had that program. So I um, was the one that started that program. So to this day, my school now has sports managers. So I started that program with the head of basketball and the athletic department head. And that was like my introduction into sports management. And then during the summertime, I had an internship with the Wizards at the time. And so I interned over the summertime in the community service department. I'm just dealing with like, you know, um, outreach and how, you know, athletes give back to the community. And I also interned with an attorney. And again, it's ironic. The attorney that I interned with is actually the sister-in-law of Mike Tomlin, who is the head coach of the Steelers. Mm. So I had a mix of, you know, paralegal, legal exposure, and then I had the sports world exposure. So I was in, you know, I was hoping that those two fields matched together would kind of help birth this, you know, sports management career. But unfortunately, to I would say a year into my my major, my dad was kind of like, so like what are you studying? And I was like, well I'm <laughs> he was just like absolutely not. Like he was just not with it. I don't know if it was a thing of, you know, me being a, a female or what, but you know, I'm of Nigerian descent. So our parents have a way of kind of um being in control of our lives <laughs> for a very long time. So Essentially, because I didn't have the support, I dropped the sports management degree and ended up just going political science. And then I had a minor in philosophy. Oh, I had wow. a minor in philosophy and I had my Bachelor of Arts in political science. So I ended up finished college a year early. I'm an overachiever. In three years. And I ended up taking the LSAT and I got into law school. Oh my God, Lola. I did. It's a whole bunch of stuff. People don't know. People just know me as a makeup artist. I didn't know this. (laughs) I got into law school and I got accepted into North Carolina Central. But I ended up taking a gap year because, you know, my parents were having a little bit of financial hardships at the time. And so my dad was like, hey, you know, I don't want you to take out a loan. I want to be able to pay for it. So could you kind of like take a back seat for a year until we can raise some funds to get you all squared away? Because, you know, if anyone knows, like they don't recommend you to work, you know, throughout law school, especially not your first year. And because I was going to another state, you know, I would need a car, you know, an apartment and then tuition, books and all of that. And then just obviously money just to sustain myself. So my dad was like, I need some time. So I ended up taking that year off. And while I was 
take my, I had that year off, one of my um, cousins owns a hair salon. So she was like, hey, well, since you have a year off, and I kind of worked with her during the summers, you know, as a kid. But when I graduated, she was like, well, you know, since you have your degree and all, you know, I'd love for you to come and help me at the salon. So I started off as her receptionist and then quickly elevated to her salon manager. So that kind of sparked my interest in beauty. Mm-hmm. I just really love the environment and the, and the camaraderie between women, especially black women. It kind of helped, you know, me find my femininity because, you know, I was a ball player and sports I, girl. Yeah, I had five brothers. So that kind of helped birth like, okay, this is like, you know, what women do and women get the, and, you know, I got my hair done. My mom was a hairdresser. Um, so it's funny that they kind of had, and I'll tell you that later on in the interview, um, they didn't necessarily have issues about me going into the beauty realm, but it's funny that my mother was a hairdresser as well as a nurse and, and many other things. But, um, so I was familiar with the hair industry already. Once I started working there, I worked there for about a year. And then my cousin was doing some downsizing because of a situation she had with her business partner. And she couldn't you know, afford to have me there full time. So one of um, the hairstylists, who I'm still very close to today, she was also a makeup artist. And she was like, you know, if you're not interested in like hair, maybe you should possibly get into makeup. And I was like, well, I don't really, I don't even wear makeup. Like, is, is that a thing? She was like, yeah, you know, like, I used to work at Mac. It was, you know, the best, kind of the best environment that I've ever had, you know, just being able to, again, bond with women and being able to wear makeup. And, you know, she said it, she felt empowered and the money was good. So she was like, you know, if you like the salon environment, you would like working at Mac. So at the time I was like, well, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to law school in a few months, but okay, whatever. And she was like, you know, this would be a good way for you to save money so you can kind of help your parents out. So she was like, you know, I'll help train you for a couple of months and then we can get you a um, an interview. So I kind of blew her off like, OK, whatever. But she kept at it. So I kind of worked with her for like eight weeks and she was just showing me techniques. But I more so wanted to learn how to do it because, you know, I wanted to look pretty and I was starting to date seriously. So I was mm-hmm. like, I, you know, I need to get myself together anyway. Mm-hmm. Long story short, she like surprised me. I was like, hey, you have an interview like next week. And I'm like, what? Like, wait a minute. You didn't prepare me. She was like, look, just wear all black and look really good. I ended up going to an interview. I ended up getting the job. And I'm like, how in the world did I get this job? And like, how am I going to finesse this situation? Because I've never put makeup on anyone. I was going to say, did you... Did you know how to do makeup before you even went to the interview at Mac? I knew how to put makeup on myself, but like (laughs) I wasn't comfortable with like doing makeup on other people. Okay. So she was like, look, I got you to interview like Mac is a hard company. And this was 10 years ago. So Mac was like elite. Mm -hmm. So she was like, you know, you just have to fake it till you make it. But I was good at selling and I was good at convincing people to do what I wanted them to do. (laughs) So, you know, they overlooked my lack of makeup skills because I sold a lot of stuff. Um, and I was popular. So people will always come to the mall, buy from me. But then, you know, gradually when you're working in an environment, you start to learn. So I started to pick up tips and tricks and I started to get better. And then when it was time for me to go to law school, I was like, hey, dad, so I'm making good. I mean, this was, again, 2008, 2009, and I'm making $22, $23 an hour. What? So, a Mac? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so this was like a Mac retail location. Store, a Mac store, yes. Making $23 an hour? Literally. Like I was making good money. Were you a manager on the floor? No, I was just an artist. I was just an artist. I I told my dad, I was like, look, dad, 
I don't know about this law school thing because I'm out here making some good money. And my dad was just like shaking my head. And I was like, you know, I think law school was kind of ignited by you all. I don't necessarily know since I'm not doing the sports thing anymore, if I really want to do law. So my dad was like, all right, I'm going to give you a year to work this job. And then whether it's law school or whether it's whatever school, you have to get some type of advanced degree. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, cool. So I worked at Mac. So the, that one year turned into two and a half years. <laughs> and then finally I ended up, and you know, at that point I was like, okay, you know, I'm working in the retail environment, but at that point, you know, now I'm kind of like, okay, I'm 20 something years old. I don't want to be in retail, you know, my entire career. So I ended up getting my MBA. But wait, tell me a little bit about like your first job, like your first day at Mac. Like, so you didn't know really how to do makeup. You knew how to do it yourself, but part of the Mac, you know, I would say process is like the artists there, they sell you the product by testing it on you and like doing a brow or doing a lash or whatever. So how did, how did you like finesse and like navigate that new world if you didn't know how to do that? So the the interesting thing is like, so I knew how to like do small stuff. So like if someone needed a foundation match, I could do that. I was really good with, you know, like lipsticks and shadows. I just didn't know how to put it all together. So I would finesse. And because I was new, I wasn't allowed to take a full face appointments anyway until a certain amount of time. So by the time I was allowed to take full face appointments, I was better you know, at doing makeup on someone. But in the early stages, it was simply like, hey, I want to try this lipstick. And then I'm like, okay, well, I think you should put this lip liner with this lipstick or, you know, I think you should put this shadow with that shadow, you know, and I didn't, you know, obviously brows with, I was good with eyebrows always because I used to wax eyebrows at the salon. So mm-hmm. eyebrows have always been my thing. Um, So that was the easy part. And most women, you know, I uh, funny enough, like makeup, it wasn't as popular as it is today. Right. So like yeah. the full face that women are wearing now, the contour, the highlight, that wasn't a thing 10 years ago. Like women wanted to look natural. So I didn't struggle because I didn't, you know, unless it was, you know, someone that wanted to, to do drag or be put in drag makeup. I was comfortable in doing just a natural face because that's all women typically wanted around that time. Right. So I kind of, you know, was able to hide behind that. But then, you know, obviously throughout once I got into my groove, I would say within six months to a year, I was like good at it. Really, really, really good at it. And I became, you know, super popular and everyone wanted to come to me. And then I realized like, okay, wait, being in the store was kind of um, hindering my growth within the makeup community. Because at this point I was like, okay, well, I got this retail thing down pat, but I just saw how I was able to make so much money outside on the weekends or after work. So now my goal was, okay, how do I get out of this? Um, mm-hmm. the retail environment and then, you know, navigate the freelance environment. But all the while I was, I started my MBA program. So I was yeah, doing so the you, program while I was at Mac. So that's what I was going to ask. So you were doing the MBA program while you were still working at Mac full time? Yes. And what, what school did you go to to get your MBA? I went to UMUC. Okay. University College. Yep. So I got my master's in business in business management. And at that rate, I was like, okay, I think I'm done with retail. I think I want to get a corporate job. You know, I think I want to just be regular because retail takes you out of reality. You know, you don't work nine to five, you know, yeah. 
the life is different, you know, while people are getting off work, you're sometimes just going into work, you know, or you're still at work. Yeah. If you're closing or sometimes you're still at work. So I just wanted some normalcy. Like Mac was my life for many years. Like I couldn't because, you know, Saturdays and Sundays were high volume days. I missed a lot. I missed a lot of birthdays. I missed a lot of family events. I missed funerals. I missed a lot of stuff. Mm. And so you know, it got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm making great money. I look good. Everyone knows me, but like the quality of life, like I felt like the work-life balance was, was bad. It wasn't good at all. So, and, and how long were you at Mac? I was at Mac as a full-time employee for like two years, but then I went freelance. So freelance is like, you're technically like not an empo- like employee. You don't have health benefits, but I still worked full-time hours. So I did that for like two and a half years too. Really? But why is that called freelance? Because I can decide when I want to come to work or not. Really? Even yeah. so, like I'm just thinking from a retail like manager scheduler because I've been in, in these roles too. Yes. And how did they build out a schedule like that with regular full-time employees coming in and then f- you as a freelancer? Like how does okay. that even work? So, you know, they had the, f- the schedule you know, with all the full-time employees. And then based on the value, the volume of the store, each store would be allocated freelance hours. So uh, depending on how good you were as a seller, right? Because the freelancers, we didn't have sales goals because we were freelancers. So the managers and the employees wanted the strongest freelancers because they knew that we would make the most amount of money for the store and that sale would go to them. Right. Mm. So for instance, let's say they have 20 extra hours a week for freelancers. They will call me and say, Hey Lola, are you available? You know, for 20 hours this week. And then I would say, yes, some managers. Okay. Well, how do you want to break up your 20? Do you want to do seven hours this day, eight hours this day and three on this day? Or do you want to do two, eight hour shifts and then four hours? So they would depend again, depending on how nice the manager was, they would let me break it up. And then with a freelancer schedule, if I had to call out, I wouldn't be penalized as opposed to an employee like, uh, to call out, yeah. you know, because I have no you know, health insurance and I'm not you know, tied to the company anymore in that way. So if I said no, I wouldn't be penalized. Or if I had to call out, as long as I could find someone, someone else to fill in for me, I also wouldn't be penalized. So it was just having more autonomy. So when other jobs out, uh, when other outside jobs came in, then I was able I had a freer schedule to take those jobs and then I could call off of work if I needed to, as opposed to being a full-time employee. Like Mac had like a no tolerance, like call off policy. Like you could not call off of work. Like you had to be in a hospital and dying before you get a day off, especially <laughs> on Saturday. It's like somebody got to die for you to, for you to not come into work on a Saturday. <laughs> so I needed to have that autonomy where, yeah. and that freedom where, Hey, if I needed to do a wedding on a Saturday, then I can do my 20 hours during the week, you know, and if I made them enough money during the week, then it didn't matter if I wasn't there on the weekend, you know, or vice versa. Or I could say, hey, have a wedding to do. Can I come in and, and work from five to 10 as opposed to, you know, right. 10 to six. So, yeah, Mac was an interesting beast. You know, anyone that has and most makeup artists and most people in the industry that have come from Mac, you know, are very successful because of the rigor that is associated with just that brand and, and the prestige of it all, the training that we got and the hard work that you had to to put in. So shout out to all my Mac girls. <laughs> <laughs> so you got your MBA you while you were still working at Mac. When did you decide, you, you know, I'm great at this. I want to pursue this professionally. I want to take this leap and go out on my own. Because I assume while you were at Mac, while you were getting your MBA, you were getting like freelance gigs on the side, like you said, like weddings or just, 
you know, people who wanted to book you to do their makeup on the side. So is that what really pushed you to pursue this professionally? So once I was doing my MBA and then I realized the um, the success of, that I was having outside freelancing, then I knew what, what the possibilities were. I knew that, that, that there was a greater earning potential outside than being inside. Ultimately, when I got my MBA, I was torn. I was like kind of at the place where I didn't know if I wanted to actually do makeup full time anymore. I, you know, again, because I'm Nigerian and just the stigma behind, you know, being a professional or having a professional career, I just thought that like all my parents would be ashamed or the community would be ashamed if I was like a makeup artist because makeup artists aren't coveted back then, well, weren't coveted back then the way they are now, Mm. you know? And I wasn't aware of all the different entities like the film industry, you know, the fashion show industry, the, all the different entities, you know, of makeup. I didn't know. All I knew was Mac and I knew that I could do weddings outside of Mac. I didn't know that there was a real profession behind makeup artistry. Long story short, I ended up getting a job, leaving Mac and getting a job as an assistant dean of admissions at a college. What? Really? Yes, I did. I lasted all of a month, Drina. I was like, (laughs) wait a minute. Uh, Because, you know, when you work retail, I was like, wait, first of all, this getting up at 5 a.m. to be at work at 7 and then getting off at 3 and then having to sit in traffic for two hours and I'm making the same amount of money. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't going to work for me. So I ended up quitting and my parents were so disappointed. Um, And my dad was like, I don't care what you do as long as you can support yourself because this is ridiculous. (laughs) And then, you know, I got I was very depressed because I was like, I have all these degrees and I don't have a job. (laughs) And all the work experience that I had was retail centered because, you know, I didn't really, I didn't work in college really. So I was stuck. So I was like, okay, well maybe I'll just go to like luxury retail. So then I like was like, okay, well I'll apply to Saks or Neiman's because I know they make a lot of money. And at least I'll go from like working like regular retail to high-end retail. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up getting a job at Saks for a little bit. And then um, I was like, well, if I'm at sex, I might as well like do like work at a high end retail counter. Right. Because I was like, I can't sell people clothes and shoes like that's just not even my <laughs> I'm not, you know, at that point I wasn't super fashionable. So I was like, OK, so then I oh, because you're up, a fashionista now. You're fashionable, well, honey. So. And, well, now I know a little I know a little things. <laughs> so I ended up actually applying for a job with Chanel, a retail manager position. So that I kind of felt like, okay, if I'm going to do this, this retail makeup thing, it needs to be on a manager level. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting a retail management job with Chanel, which was great because Chanel is such a prestigious company, but still the money was trash. So I was like, I'm just confused here. These bags cost $5,000. <laughs> Why is my salary? Again, and then my salary was lower than what I needed back. I was going to ask like, that. Was it less than Mac? It was less. And I was like, okay, this is very ghetto. I don't like it. I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. So, I mean, so I ended up, girl, I've had so many little jobs. I ended up working there for like almost a year. I got really close with one of my, she's one of my good friends today, Tawanda. And she was like, okay, maybe you should go into being an account rep. And account reps, they make six figures. You know, um, you'll just have to go from store to store. It's a little bit of traveling. And because you have an MBA, you have, you know, management experience. So I was like, okay, that sounds better. I'm still with them makeup, but, you know, I get to use my degree. And like, I have like a company car, you know, a laptop, I'm traveling. So I was like, okay, that makes more sense for me. But those jobs are coveted. And those are the account executive jobs are the jobs that like when people get in, 
they stayed yeah. 20 years, 10 years. And I hadn't been with uh, with any line long enough where like I could even compete with the people who were in line for those jobs. Right. So I was kind of like, all right, crap. Like, what am I going to do? So in the interim, my uncle like was a manager and like a pet boy. So I like worked there part time until I was like trying to get myself together. <laughs> come like, on, Lola. Come on. Pet I'm girl, I don't play with my money. I'm like, listen, money to be made, honey, I'm going to make it. So, I've had tons of I've had tons of little odd jobs too. Oh so God, I feel you. So, but you know, I learned my love of like, you know, I learned about cars and car parts and things like that. <laughs> so yes, I saw sale that to say that I finally did that. And then I started freelancing um, for other companies. So I started freelancing with NARS. I started freelancing with Smashbox and other different makeup But how companies. did you how did you do that? How did you get those freelance opportunities? Are those the, like, do you apply as if you're applying for a retail job as well? So you apply as a freelancer and then they do a test with you. Or some people like, you know, they hear about you in the community because the makeup community is very small. You know, although it seems like it's a saturated industry, like people know who, who the top who the heavy hitters are, right? Mm. So it's kind of like, oh, Lola, we've heard great, great things about you, you know, great things about you. Do you want to come and freelance with NARS or whatever, or Smashbox or whatever other company? So I ended up freelancing for a few other brands, I mean, other brands. And then ultimately in 2000 and either 13 or 14, I got my big break. Okay, what was that? So I was on Instagram, was like still new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw my, my boyfriend was taking me to Miami for my birthday. And I actually saw an ad saying that they needed a makeup artist in Miami for a, like a private shoot. So I was like, so before he told me he was taking me to Miami, I was just like, you know what? At this rate, I wouldn't do anything. Like, let me just go ahead and apply. And then if I got to buy a plane ticket and go out there to do this job, whatever. I don't even know what I thought I was doing. And a colleague of mine or a peer of mine in, in the makeup world actually was the one that posted it. And he, I commented on it like, oh my God, I applied for this job that you posted. And he was like, oh, well, I know the people behind the event. I'll reach out and let them know like, you know, that, that like that you're good for it. And then, you know, hopefully they, you know, they hire you. Long story short, probably a Two days before, so I asked my boyfriend, I was like, hey, you know, I know we're going to Miami, but I applied for this job. I don't know if I'm going to get it, get it or not. But like, do you mind if I like bring my makeup kit with me just in case? And he was like, Lola, really? Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> he was like, bring your little makeup kit. Bring your little makeup kit. <laughs> right. And so the funny thing is that it, I got um, hired for the job like two days before we were going to Miami. So I'm so excited. It ended up being a snowstorm, literally the day before we were got we were about to go. So our flight ended up getting delayed. Oh, so no. the job that I was flying to Miami for, I got in and I was absolutely hours late. So I called my friend and I was like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing. But you know, the, my flight got delayed. And he was like, well, I don't know if they're still going to like, let you come because you're late. And I was like, I know, but it was out of my control because I applied for the job as if I was like a Miami resident. Oh, look, sometimes you, though, you got to fake it till you make it. Sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. I live here. Yes, I'm here. I'm available. Yeah, I'm available. So he was like, girl, you need to make up a lie or something because I I don't know. So I was like, well, what should I do? He was like, well, I mean, I don't know. So that I called the lady. I was like, oh my God, I had a family emergency. She was like, yeah, unfortunately we found someone to fill your position. You don't have to worry about coming. Thanks for the, I'm like, she just. Kurt, shut it down. She curved me. My boyfriend was like, if I were you, I would still just go. Like, like the worst I can do is tell you to go home. Yeah. And he was like, you know, cause she sent me a message. So I didn't talk to her. He said, just say you didn't, you just say you didn't get the message and show up there. 
So I was like, oh, this Smart. is gold. Mm-hmm. So I showed up there and the lady like felt bad for me. She was just like, girl, just set you, just girl, set your little makeup over there in the corner. Like, <laughs> go on in the corner. Go on in the corner. So at the time it was slow. So no one even ended up. So the event ended up being this like large BT event. And um, girl. yeah. And I didn't even know like Michelle Obama was there. All these like celebrities were there. Lola. I was like, what in the world is this? I had no idea because they had to keep it low profile because yeah. Michelle Obama was going to be there. So I was like, oh my God, what in the world? So I ended up, no, no, no clients had come to the glam suite. So it actually worked in my favor because you know, we didn't have anyone to service. So she was just like, um, well, I'm gonna let you come. Was it, was it like a BT event? And then they just had glam on the side for for touch-ups and all that. Okay. Yep. So she was just like, well, I'm gonna let you come back tomorrow. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like yada, yada, yada. So I ended up working the event and the people that I work with ended up loving the makeup. And I got some feedback after the event. She was like, Hey, you know, you know, the, the guests, the ladies who you work with, they really loved your makeup. Like, you know, you know, thanks for, you know, coming through. And then like, that was in March and April, that same lady who was like the coordinator called me and was like, Hey, I have an event in New York. Um, are you able to come? And I was like, yeah, like I'll get on the train, bus, plane, whatever. <laughs> um, I called off work. And ironically, when I was in the elevator going up to the suite, cause it was another like Glam suite situation. Mm-hmm. I was in the elevator, and Tiana Taylor was in the elevator. Ah, and then we're just in the elevator talking, and you know, she was like, "Where are you headed to?" And I was like, "Oh, to this glam suite upstairs." She was like, "Oh, me too. You work with BET?" I said, "Yeah." She was like, oh, "Okay, well, I'll let you do my makeup." And I was like, "Okay." Was like, your face was, like, was your face beat? Were you beat? Yes, I was. I was. That's why she's like, "I'll let you do it." so that was like my first like celebrity client so I ended up doing her makeup she loved it and then after that she was like oh you're stuck with me so then I started traveling and working with Tiana Taylor for about three almost four years so wait did you what did you do about your full-time job though girl I quit the job (laughs) (laughs) I quit the job and it's so funny because the lady at the time she was like you know you just stick with me I'll get you far like you know we're gonna build so I ended up you know, letting the job go. And then, um, so I was working with Tiana Taylor kind of full time because she was working on a pilot at the time. And it's so funny because she had just like got with Iman, her husband. So they were like doing like a reality pilot at the time. And then, you know, she was working on music. So, you know, I worked on her music video and I did a tour with her and all these things. Were you still living in DC? I was still living in DC. Uh And then I ended up still doing BT events now. So now I'm like their go-to. So I'm doing BET events and then working with Tiana Taylor on the side and still doing freelance jobs on the side. I'm still doing weddings. I still have a strong wedding business. You know, so I'm now I'm just like, okay, I'm officially a freelancer. I'm trying to do everything that I could possibly do in the allotted time. I met Tiana Taylor. Like I said, I worked with Tiana Taylor for like three years. And then I met the the head honcho, Deborah Lee. Queen Deborah. Queen Lee. Definitely. Obviously, she was the CEO at the time, and someone referred me to do her makeup. I ended up doing her makeup in DC because she used to have a home in DC, and she liked her makeup. Her assistant called me like, "Hey, Deb loves you, and we would like to move forward with you know working with you as an artist." So then I started working with Miss Lee, and then now I'm doing all the BT events because before it was just like whatever event that you know they had a glam suite, but now since I'm working with Miss Lee, I had to do everything because she had to go to everything. And so, you were doing her makeup exclusively. Exclusively. That's what's up. Well, no, no, no. I was still 
freelancing. Well, no, I mean for her exclusively. For her, yes, exclusively. Yes. So every BET event, were you also doing like her personal events as well? Yep. Every like, because you know, she um, she sat on a bunch of boards. So like any type of board meeting she had, any event, like we, you know, I went to Martha's Vineyard with her a few times. I've done, you know, award shows, like several award shows, um, Leading Women Defined. I'm sure you heard of that event, that event multiple times. Um, And still to this day, you know, it got canceled this year because of COVID, but you know, I worked it last year. Um, so yeah, I still work with, work, uh, work with Miss Lee to this day. She's just no longer the CEO of BT, but yeah, that was kind of like, she just helped make me more visible as an artist. Um, between her and Tiana Taylor, I became more visible as an artist, um, because I was working BT events and, you know, and also all her events. So she was, you know, uh, doing things with like the Grammy board and all these other things. So I got to go to different events. Um, and then, like I said, with Tiana Taylor too, you know, she was doing, I did fashion police with her. I did some VHA, VH, VH1, excuse me, stuff with her. So those were like my two, like corporate and then like R&B, you know, I got a, a mix of the corporate side and then a mix of the like industry, you know, mm-hmm. fun side. Um, so I work with them. And then um, while working with them, I work with several different people, like the people that I've talked about. Um, and because I live in DC, I, uh, I dabbed in like the, um, the political scenes. So I've done stuff with several congressmen and congresswomen. I've done training videos. I've done a lot of different stuff. I've worked like the, the major league um, baseball games, the national hockey basketball games. Mm-hmm. I mean, the national hockey games. I've worked basketball games. I've done makeup for commentators. The only thing sport that I think I haven't done maybe is football, but I've literally worked every sport, every major event like that's come to D.C., so I've kind of dibbed and dabbed in everything from film, TV, retail, you know, award show, glam, weddings, bar mitzvahs, proms, baby showers, weddings. I've done it all. <laughs> yeah, I've done it all. And so it sounds like, and and I also know this just from knowing you, that your life is a bit hectic oh, and you're always on the road and I've just seen you been able to grow. I've seen you grow and like grow your roster and just become this dope ass pub. I'm sorry, dope ass makeup artist. So I wonder how do your, how do your parents feel about the the career path that you've chosen now? My parents are very proud of me. My dad is proud of my resilience. I don't think they care what I do. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that like I've been resilient and I've been able to hone my craft and really blossom just as their child, I think it's what's the most important. You know, obviously that I'm educated as well, just Mm -hmm. because I've been in rooms with, you know, princes of countries. You know, I've I met the Obamas and I've been in the rooms uh, in rooms with very prominent people. So to be able to have conversations with those type of people and hold a conversation is important. You know, I work with a lot of C-suite executives, Fortune 500, 100 companies. So, you know, I have just a big melting pot of experience. So I think they're just happy that I can sustain myself, that I'm an adult, I can help them now. You know, I'm in that position where I'm financially, you know, stable of some sorts. Obviously, you know, freelance, profession and career is very up and down because, you know, what you earn is based on how busy your client is sometimes. So mm-hmm. if you have a client that's working and super busy, then you're super busy. So, you know, and it's hard to kind of manage the loyalty piece and 
the busy piece, right? Because some people, you know, dib and dab with clients and based on how busy a client is, if the client's not working, then they may go to another client. Um, yeah. I kind of value loyalty over that. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'll stick with my client, whether they're busy or whether they're not, because I know that, you know, opportunities that the loyalty trumps the opportunity. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's another reason why that I've been able to be successful. And I'm also, um, I stretch for people, you know, I am very good to people. I'm very good to my clients. I mean, you know, I'll get on a train at two in the morning if I need to. I know. know, She's done that for me. I fly across the country if I need to, you know, I'm, I'm in a service industry and it's important that people realize that because I think that, you know, social media has almost kind of put this veil over the industry. And there's this misconception that the people who are in this field want to be the celebrity more than they do want talk about it actually want to do and give the service that's why regardless of who I work with like I can still put my feet on the ground you know like I'm you know I'm humble and I know I shouldn't say that I am but like the industry doesn't really phase me I'm just here to work and I'm here to be of service to people no no I definitely would say that you're humble and I it's this the same approach is how I look at the PR industry there's a lot of publicists that want to be the client and want to be on the red carpet versus behind the scenes doing the work. And I've seen that with makeup artists too. And I can attest to like, you know, you are loyal as hell. You will fly across the country. You will get on the train at 2 a.m. for even opportunities that may not happen or get canceled last minute. And I just appreciate you. And I'm so proud of, you know, just where you are today. You know, makeup, this industry that you're in, the beauty industry, especially as a makeup artist, it's really competitive. And so how you're not with and you're not with a management agency, right? No, I'm not. And you've done this all by yourself. God has been good. God is my agent. (laughs) Come on, you better say it. God is my agent. I mean, like I said, I feel like the right people come in my life. You know, I have some amazing mentors and I have some amazing women. That's why I'm glad that I found my calling early on. And I'm glad that I knew the power of like women, especially black women early on, because that has been you know, they have helped elevate my career in such a way that I can't even, I don't even have the words to describe, you know, from your Deborah Lee's to Tiana Taylor's to Leslie Jones, you know, who is, I'm her key artist and I've worked exclusively with her for almost four years and she champions me and she's so loyal and, you know, she just wants me to be great and whatever opportunity mm-hmm. she can give me, whatever door she can break down for me, she does. And I've, I've, I've never seen anything like it because like you said, this industry is very competitive, you know, so once I kind of, once Miss with once Miss Lee transitioned from BET, ironically, that was the year that Leslie hosted the BET Awards, ah. and I met Leslie's assistant, who's one of my very close friends now, Brian, at Miss Lee's party because she has a party, you know, um, the weekend of the awards for like all the hosts and all the celebrities, all the people that are you know going to be at the awards, and you know we, we got to talking and we met just seeing him randomly having a drink and we locked eyes, we talked and he was like, Hey, yo, let me take your information in case my client ever needs a makeup artist. And you know, when people say that you're like, okay. Well, well you didn't know who the client was, did you? No, he told me his client was Leslie, oh, okay. but okay. you know, I was like, well, she clearly has a makeup artist already. So why would, yeah, you know, why would you want to take my information? But I'm like, you know, whatever, no qualms, gave him my number. And then like uh, two months later, he called me like, Hey, are you in New York? I wasn't, I was in DC. But at the time, prior to me meeting him, I actually moved to New York for a job with Revolt. 
one of my friends um, was hiring a HR manager at Revolt and they needed a makeup artist to work in their studio because they did live broadcast every day, a live feed, sorry, digital feed every day. And so I was actually in New York. I had only been in New York for a few months and I was working there. And then like probably like within six months of me being there, it didn't work out. But let's talk about this real quick. Let's just talk. Lola, Lola had an apartment in New York and in DC. So she was, she was doing all right. Okay. <laughs> I was doing okay. Um, the pay was really good. So like I said, I was working with Revolt for like six months and it didn't really work out. And then literally I was on the verge of like just saying, you know, scrap New Jersey, New York, I'm going to just go back to DC. And then literally Brian called me and said, Hey, I need you to do Leslie's makeup tomorrow. And I was, you know, at home. And I was like, okay. So I, I went up there. I did Leslie's makeup. She said she loved it. And then she was like, hey, are you free tomorrow? I'm doing Jimmy Fallon. I was like, wait, what? Because that was would have been my first time doing like, you know, like late night TV. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like award shows are different. But like when you're doing late night TV where like it's visible in that way. So I did her makeup and like it went viral. Like, oh, Leslie looks so good. And she had been training as well. So so you contributed to the new look that she had, like within the yes. last couple of years. Come yes. on, Lola. Yes, yes, yes. So, and shout out to Brian for giving you that opportunity. Yeah, Brian is the best. Ultimately, she was just like, "Hey, are you doing anything in September?" And I was like, "Well, what's in September?" She was like, "The Emmys." And Brian was like, "But you know, you already have, you know, your other artist book." And she was like, "I don't care. I like her. I want her." So she <laughs> called. She called, <laughs> she called her PR and was like, "Hey." I don't care who you guys have booked for me. I want Lola. So they booked me for Emmys and she got, that went viral. Like it went on, she was on Vogue's best dress list. She was on like all the best dress list. And then her PR people called me and was like, we've never got a response like this from Leslie, like from like the beauty world ever. And they were like, we love you. They were like, so we want you to start doing all her press moving forward. Look Leslie, at God. Come on. So good. And then literally Leslie was like, hey, are you in the union? And I was like, what's, what's the union? And she was just like, well, you need to do your research because you need to get into it because I want you to work on SNL. And I'm like, wait a minute. All this is coming way too fast. And I remember when you were doing, when you were getting ready to like do all, you had to do like a, an extensive test, right? Or like a test, a portfolio. I had to like, you know, have a certain amount of days. So ultimately, and this is why God is so good. Working with BET was literally the foundation to get me where I am today because I had, because BET, obviously I worked with them on a production level, you know, from the award shows and all the events that I did. I ultimately, throughout the three and a half, four years I worked with BET, I had enough days to qualify to apply to the union. So let's, wait, take it back a step. Like, tell us like the importance of the union. Like when you say the union, what is that? And why do a lot of makeup artists try to get into it? So the union pretty much is IATSE, 798 is what I'm is what I'm a part of. And pretty much the union pretty much just protects you. Um, the union gives you, affords you labor law protections on set so that, you know, while you're working on set, you're protected. You have, you know, um, health insurance and just so that you're treated fairly. Um, and also like, you know, pay equality, all those things. And certain jobs, if you're not represented by the union, you cannot even work. So it's like being in the union just breaks down the doors. Like I do not like being told no to mm-hmm. anything. So I worked, I, re- I will never forget. I worked on one set with Leslie, her hairstylist and her wardrobe stylist. They were both in the union already. And I couldn't get on set because I was not on you because I was not in the union. And of course, I felt shameful like that. Like they really can stop you from working by not having this 
umbrella of protection around you, which now I understand today. But I was like, never again will, will I be in a position to be told no. So, so you were so what what you guys were like in her hotel room or something like that, and that's no. No, we were working like in the on trailer a set, on a set for a job and I did her makeup in the trailer and it was time for her to come on set. And they uh, were like, are you union? And I was like, no, they were like, well, you can't, you can't come on the stage. She would have to do her touch up in the trailer. Oh, and I was God. like, well, what about if she's sweating? They're like, we don't know what to tell you. So at that point, Leslie was like, we got to get you in the union. I don't want this to ever happen to you again. And I started my process. I started the paperwork and I was accepted two years ago. I applied. I was accepted. And then Leslie was like, hey, she called the higher ups at SNL. I was like, I want Lola working with me on SNL. So ultimately, I ended up having to keep my apartment in Jersey because How I was now. So it went from me wanting to leave to me having to stay. Yeah. And then ultimately, because I was in New York more, I started working. I started building my New York clientele. And that's when you and I started working more because I was in New York all the time. Mm-hmm. So I also love that Leslie was a champion for you and like really pushed you to like get your shit together to put you like to take you to the next level. Yeah. And it's always great to have clients that, you know, start off as just a a chance meeting. You kill it, which you're supposed to do on every single time because you never know where the opportunity can lead. And then for them to become your champion and push you. I just... I don't know. That's just really sweet. Lola? She's amazing. Like, Leslie is literally an angel. I tell her all the time. Like, working with, you know, with Leslie, I was able to do my first movie, Coming to America 2. Come on, list them Um, out. List them out. I was able to do my first commercial. I was able to do my first cover of a magazine. I was able to do my first game show. You know, and that's just the small. I was able to work my first live show with being on SNL. So like she has opened up so many doors and continuously opens up doors and she's just amazing. Like Leslie is such an awesome woman and she's loyal. I mean, she's so loyal. I can't even express how loyal she is and she pushes us to be great. Um, It's important to have a boss that cares about you. Like we're family. Like it's not just, she doesn't treat me like an employee, you know, if she flies first class, I get to fly first class. If she's staying at a five star hotel we stay at a five-star hotel and you don't find many people like that. Many no. people treat their staff as if they're beneath them or, you know, as if you should be privileged to have certain things. Mm-hmm. And for her, it's like, it's automatic. Like whatever I have, they have. And she fights for us when it comes to pay. She's just like, whatever y'all want, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell them to not give it to you. If it's within reason, fight for more. And I'm going to back y'all up and say, you got to pay my people. So it's been a joy. Like when I hear other artists and what they go through, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> I can't imagine because I have a, a literally a pit bull behind us, like making sure that that we're that's uh, making sure that we're good and we're okay. So that's why she's just like my A one day one. She's she's a forever client for me. I could be fifty, and if Leslie's still doing work, I'm still gonna be doing makeup for her. Oh, <laughs> yes. I yeah. love it. I love it. Yeah. And tell me this, you are, you're essentially the working makeup artist like dream. Like you're doing red carpets, you're doing A-list celebrities, you're working with some of the top networks and major events, but what's next for you? So, Is there um, more that you want to do? Like what's the hope? Oh, absolutely. So like I said, um, I kind of gave you that transition from like, you know, me working, me staying in New York, working on SNL 
Leslie has left SNL and she actually relocated to Los Angeles, California. I am slowly transitioning out of New York. I still Lola, do. Uh-uh, don't let, don't leave me, Lola. I'm not going to leave you. <laughs> I am like going to not have a residence there. I don't think just, you know, overhead and COVID has really just shined a light on like, yeah. you know, cutting down things and, and doing what's necessary. Um, So I have been in, in LA a lot. Leslie definitely wants us to move to LA, but we're, you know, working on some things and just seeing what her work schedule looks like to see, you know, if there's a need for just for me to commute back and forth or, you know, or ultimately at least have some type of part-time residence there, you know, that's in store. She obviously has some major projects coming up next year. Can't really speak on too many, but, um, you know, so working with her exclusively. And then also I'm working on a, a line. I'm not really going to disclose much because okay. I just want it to be finished, but working on something entrepreneurial for myself, something to give back to my clients. I'm known for one particular thing, makeup item. I want to be able to bring that to the world um, and have people support me in a different way, you know, mm-hmm. outside of like booking their, do their makeup. And then um, there's another venture that would kind of help support the artistry community, especially the ones who work on set, like who work for TV and film. So I have like two entrepreneurial ventures that like aren't one's makeup related, one is industry related, not necessarily makeup related. So I'm praying, I'm prayerful that between, you know, working with Leslie and working on different projects and still doing my, still do freelance work, you know, on the side. But ultimately, I would like to pray and hope that these two ventures can just kind of blossom and then I can start doing makeup when I want to do it and not if I have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of COVID, so what was a day in the life of Lola pre-COVID versus, you know, our current situation? Well, the Lola 2019 was on 70 flights, 70 flights, you know, throughout the country. So with COVID, ironically, so you know, obviously when COVID hit, every everything shut down. So I was definitely on lockdown from March to, I would say the end of July. And I actually was okay with it just mm-hmm. because, you know, like, you know me, I'm a planner, I'm a saver. So I was, you know, financially prepared for the lockdown, but also like mentally it was, it was great to like, not have to be on a plane every week, not know what I'm doing. Um, So just from a family building perspective and just, finally getting back to me and being able to like use my brain and things be clear that helped because when you're always on the go, it's hard to establish things. It's hard to build because, you know, it's like you you can't really do anything because you're just waiting to get that call or that email like, Hey, we need you here tomorrow Mm -hmm. or Hey, we need you here next week. So the first between, like I said, March and July, you know, I ate good. I, you know, I started cooking again because I wasn't able to do that with always being on the road. I spent a lot of time with my family, and so that was really good. And friends, I would say probably like around August, the film industry opened back up. So like I've been on the road. Um, Leslie actually filmed her game show during quarantine. We were the, one of the first shows to come back post COVID. Well, not post because we're still in COVID, mm-hmm. but like with all the restrictions and all the, you know, with all the the COVID the new restrictions the new, and everything the new restrictions and and guidelines is what I'm saying guidelines with working on set so it's back busy again where it was busy so I would say between August and the top of December what's that four months I was in LA two out of those four months 
Oh, wow. Yeah. I was flying back and forth to LA. So, like, so what did that look like for you ooh. as a makeup artist on set? Like what is, what does business look like ooh, now in the makeup industry because of all I, of like the guidelines and restrictions? Well, now obviously, uh, you know, a bunch of people can't be around, you know, like yeah. daily testing or sometimes every other day testing, um, wearing a mask and a shield on set. You know, it's it's very different. It looks different. It feels different. You know, but we still make it fun. Like we, you know, Leslie did a show. We were out in LA for a month, and no one tested positive. And we worked twelve hour days for two, you know, for almost a month. So I think Amazing. that certain production companies and certain certain shows are 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 getting it right and are able to do it right. And we were one of the first ones too. So. But it's, it still looks very different, you know, from just being able to embrace people and talk to people up close and 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 do all of that, like all of that stuff. It's kind of like, well, give me six feet. Like there's on set, there's now zones. So like if you're in zone A, you can't use the bathroom in zone B, you know, and temperature checks and, you know, lunch, you can't sit close. You have to be six feet apart. So it's definitely um, the human interaction is yeah. different. Yeah. I'm just blessed that like even through quarantine. Like some people haven't worked this whole year and I had a strong four months, like almost so that like what I did in the four months is what some people do in an entire year. So like mm. I was blessed that like I, I was able to work. I was able to earn a living. I was able to to be a part of projects like we I did the game show with Leslie. We did a Netflix thing during, during the quarantine. We did press during the quarantine. Wow. Uh, we did wheel of fortune during the quarantine. Like we did like four or five things, you know, between August and, and December. So yeah, so it was busy, but now things are slowing back down again, obviously with the holidays. And, and um, so I don't know what next year has outside of the things that I mentioned, you know, in terms of um, work, but I'm blessed. Yeah. Needless to say. Well, I'm proud of you, Lola. Thank you. So and I'm much. like, it's really good to hear that even like, because, you know, the creative industry suffered a lot during during COVID, um, just because, like you said, studios shut down, sets shut down. Even in my industry, like granted, uh, I, you know, I was extremely blessed and my team was extremely blessed to still be working throughout this whole time. We even picked up new clients, but, you know, businesses shuttered, folks lost jobs. And so it's just really good to hear that, you know, you were able to still do your thing and kill it and you're, you're okay. Is there a moment in your career that made you, was there ever like, you know, as we're along this journey of like figuring out what we want to do with our lives, or if we're already on this career path that we've carved out for ourselves, oftentimes you'll have a moment where you're like, why the hell did I do this? Like, I should have just stuck with a nine to five. Have you ever had that along this path? Because I know probably starting out, it was it was bumpy. It was rough. You're like, yo, I need to figure out how I'm going to pay my rent or X, Y, Z. Have you had any moments like that? Well, I will say that, you know, because I'm of Nigerian descent and my parents are very supportive and always been. And, you know, if you know any child with Nigerian parents, you know, they just don't let us out here in the world, you know, so having the protection of my parents, being able to stay home and live home for as long as I wanted to, you know, I didn't have those, you know, certain people had mm-hmm. these success stories of like, Oh, I had to sleep in my car or, you know, I had to do this like prayerfully and thank God I didn't have those experiences. And I think that that kind of helped my story. I will say, I won't call it a regret, but the only misstep I think I made was not going to law school. I think if I had to do it again, I would have went because especially with 
the reinsurgence of social media and like influencers and like how the world is today, having a law degree would have definitely helped me in that space. I think that Mm -hmm. I could have pivoted in transition to help support artists who are going the social media route, you know, as it relates to contracts, as it relates to, um, you know, endorsements, ads, and all of those things that now artists are having with these brands, I think that I could have transitioned from makeup to that role because I understand the beauty behind it and I would have understood the business and the contractual component behind it. Mm-hmm. So that's the only like misstep is that I wish I, I wish I would have went to law school because like right now when I have things, you know, Leslie's lawyer has to go over, you know, certain agreements or, 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 or payment and things like that, just to make sure like that we're all covered and like everyone has what they want and need, you know, for, for a particular job. So if I would have had that knowledge, then I could go over my own paperwork or I could be able to help other people as it relates to business law, as it relates to contracts, dealing with brides, you know, as it relates to just protecting yourself, all of those things that you learn in law school, I feel like I would know that today and I could have transitioned, you know, especially in a space where now where live events are, are are on hold and things like that. The physical art of doing makeup has kind of dwindled because people aren't really going out. So I could have kind of transitioned in that regard because the digital realm has exploded in such a way now that it would have made sense. So that's the only kind of like mis- misstep I think that I made was that I should have still went to law school even. And I could have just did makeup while I was in law school as opposed to like opting out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What can, I mean, you could always go back, Lola. One other thing I would have done too, now that I know the business of beauty, I would have either I would have done that or I would have gone into cosmetic chemistry. So I would have learned how to make, like work in a lab and develop products. Mm. Yeah. Just because people understand like, that's where the money is, you know, not only the money is it like the creative control, like, because I know, like, like I said, the beauty part about it, I think what a lot of brands where they misstep is not having the actual people on the field, i.e. that are in the counter i.e. that are working in film and working in beauty, those people are are not in the same room as the chemist. Mm. So the chemist, they're just, you know, from a demographic standpoint and based on what the stakeholders are telling them that they want, that's how they're developing these products. But they don't really have, you know, the artists providing them with the market research and what we've learned on field, like how that could help implement or change or help, you know, curate these brands and these products that like people want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that that's where there isn't a connection between, you know, beauty and like the melanin community, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or just the black or brown community, because there's no one in those rooms to represent us because there's not enough black chemists. Right. You know, when these brands are making these products, who from our demographic is in the room to say like, hey, actually, you guys would kill if you were to do a foundation line that has, you know, these complexions or black women actually deal with hyperpigmentation. You know, maybe this ingredient needs or this product needs more active ingredients to target that. Or, hey, black women, you know, actually suffer with this. So I feel like because you know, there aren't that many people in the room. That's the reason why we get the short end of the stick as it relates mm-hmm. to the beauty realm. And now 
you know, it's opening it up. It's opening up. But for so long, have we been neglected in that in that space? Well, I can't wait to see what this beauty product that you're coming out with will be. I'm hoping it's for brows or lip because Lola will have a Lola will have a brow and a lip, honey. She'll have them and look fierce. (laughs) But Lola, if you could share, you know, a little a gem or some insight or suggestions or guidance to, you know, anyone coming up in the makeup artist that is looking to emulate or just follow along the same sort of path that you had with your career, what would you, what would you tell them? I would say to do your research. I would say um, that it's important to do research in the industry so you can figure out what part of the industry you want to be in. Because I think that that would ultimately determine the level of education and also, you know, just what kind of help you not waste time, right? Because I think that, you know, social media glamorizes what we do. Mm-hmm. And although certain aspects of the industry is glamorous, a lot of it is not. So it's important that you really, really figure out what it is that you want to do in the industry. I think because that will also help with what education or what or what route you take. So for instance, if you are into cosmetic chemistry, obviously you will go get a chemistry degree as opposed to like I empower my nieces and my goddaughters like, hey, they love makeup. And when we think of makeup, we think of the surface level. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she just wants to be a makeup artist. Like, no, why can't she be a cosmetic chemist? Or no, mm-hmm. you know, why can't she work in PR and marketing you know, or advertising and work for these brands who do the marketing campaigns for these cosmetic companies. You know, it doesn't, she'll still be exposed to the cosmetic industry, but in a different way yeah. and in a bigger and on a bigger playing field. Because what happens is, is that as, especially as black artists, we're on the low level, you know, what we're, we're at the counters, but we aren't in the boardrooms. Mm-hmm. And I would like for, to see See us to see us change in that way. So I would, you know, empower them to do their research and know that as it relates to just the beauty industry, that there's more to just being a hairstylist, there's more to just being a makeup artist, that there are greater jobs or greater influences or ways that we can impact those industries and not trying to trivialize what I do. But I would offer them that advice to say, hey, you can be a makeup artist, but you can also be this. You can also develop the product or you can also, you know, be a marketing executive to help brand, you know, or do the campaigns behind the product. So I would tell them to do that. And, you know, all patience is key. I've been at this for 14 years and I'm still not at the top, you know, of success. So don't feel like because you've been doing it for a long time that, you know, you're not going to get there. And every path is different. So I wouldn't look at another person's journey and compare my journey to that or your journey to that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what God has for you will be for you. But obviously, being, um, hone in on your spirituality so that you can tap in and listen to God. I knew early on that I was supposed to work with, you know, in this field. You know, I knew the influence I had on women and with women. And I know that ultimately I give women their confidence. And that's something that I was blessed with from an early age. So it didn't take me long to figure out what my calling was and how God uses my gifts to bless other people. So I think that those are the nuggets that I would give to someone aspiring, you know, to be in the beauty industry or what their next step should be. Come on, Lola, you better say a word. Patience, think out the box and, you know, just keep going. Yep, yep, yep. Well, thank you so much, Lola. I truly appreciate you joining me today. 
Can't wait to see what 2021 has in store for you and beyond, because I know you're destined for greatness. Thank you so much, Trina. Um, You know, I love you dearly. And thank you so much for, you know, the impact that you've had on my life and always being encouraging and, you know, referring people to me. It, you know, it doesn't go unnoticed because I know, you know, you can refer your clients to anyone and you always refer them to me. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for always writing for your girl. And um, I can't wait to get these things out so I can have, you know, the company behind me supporting me in my PR endeavors. <laughs> Come on, holla at me when yes, it's ready. Yes, yes, I will, I will, I will. Thank you again so much. It's greatly appreciated. Oh, I will talk to you soon then. All righty. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye.